following podcast contains mature language and spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. I recently made fun of the Aquaman Shrine's blog slowly turning into a happy ending site, but I actually ran it through Google Translate, and it turns out that it's mostly an Asian site for pills to help with acne, but there's also a morning after pill emergency plan page. The reason why I bring it up is because Who's Who podcast comments are associated with that show, and I am very associated with leaving those comments, and unfortunately, Rob's old site is slowly disappearing while I'm going through the trouble of going through Who's Who anyway to maybe do a quick oral archive of some of the greatest hits, I guess, or most relevant bits of comments that I left on that podcast back in the day. For the record, the only major noteworthy Martian Hunter character featured in Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC Universe, was Martian Manhunter. So, screw Who's Who. Zook appeared in dozens of stories, but they bypassed an entry in favor of no-hit wonders like Aegis. I'm so glad they got in all those Atari Force entries with gorgeous art by the likes of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez and Eduardo Barreto in favor of, say, any Manhunter villain whatsoever. Who's Who really expresses the difference between DC and Marvel. One was about diversity and visual storytelling, while the other was about being a uniform, comprehensive resource with each static figure inked by the same person. Personally, I prefer Ohatmu since it was more focused on imparting information and would have totally had more Martian Manhunter entries. Who's Who felt more slapped together, and I'd forgotten how poor and brief many of the entries were. The highs were higher in Who's Who on the art front, though. With Siskoid having this project, I felt like I needed to explore the New 52. But what's funny is, even though we have these magnificent online resources, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I don't blog regularly anymore, because why do I need to cover issues of a comic book that were already covered and available on, you know, Mike's Amazing World or Comic Vine or the DC Wiki Wiki, I should say. There's a one that's just for DC that I've made a lot of use out of over the course of who's editing. But the simple fact is, a lot of the people that seem to contribute to those wikis are in the same position I was in where they will give you tons of information about the post-crisis continuity and then fuck all when it comes to the new 52 a lot of omissions negligence of mission with regard to stories told in the last nine years and so I ultimately did have to go out and buy the uh, DC Comics Encyclopedia and uh, I've also had to do a bunch of research where I would you know find the actual books because this is a four-year-old book and you got to figure they're probably working off of information there was uh, a year old when the book came out probably or it's probably like a year out of date when it came out and so I, I'm having to do a lot of research into the new 52 one of the things that screwed up my uh, podcasting schedule this week was that I tried to do what this podcast is doing on a Twitter feed on Sunday and it just completely got away from me because I was trying to offer some context to a discussion of the New 52 talking about you know what DC went through with the crisis and then I basically I lost the thread and we had dinner and it just got all kind of fucked up and it ended up going to weird places that I wasn't even trying to go to it took a lot of time and uh, it was funny because there were a lot of people that were probably in my age group they were like yeah I, I like what you're saying or you got this thing wrong but otherwise I, I kind of you know still in the same wavelength we're still having a conversation here and then the total fucking randos who were showing up just being totally fucking rude if you want to be like a passionate John Kent stand, fine if I'd said like yeah kill a little kid I could see where you'd get mad at me but I basically said it's not my bag but uh, you know I don't really talk about that and yada yada and there are people like getting mad at me about that it's like dudes regulate the anger you know pick your battles okay or I had a lot of Morrison stands who were like oh you really got everything wrong about his action comics run I don't know anybody who gives a shit about Morrison's action comics run I personally didn't find it very appealing it's not like I didn't read some issues I, I didn't follow it like as a run but I, I 
I've read, what do you do, like 18 or so issues, and I've probably read about six or so. I wasn't into it. You know, you're going to come at me and argue at me because I wasn't into this book, and I didn't really get the impression that a lot of other people were into that book, and nobody fucking talks about that book. Do you know? Feel free in the comments to tell me about all the people you know who really love Morrison's action comics run, because I don't know those people. You can feel free to educate me. I'm not going to argue with you. I'll just, I'll listen quietly and, and nod. And like, there's constantly somebody referencing something from All-Star Superman, and I, I don't see anybody referencing fuck off from action comics or whatever. Stan's going to Stan. What can I tell you? But setting that aside, I've had to do a bunch of new food you research, and there's some good stuff there. There's some, there's actually some really interesting uh, material coming out now that we're checking out. And that's kind of what I wanted to focus on, but I got distracted by all this other stuff. Thanks to who's editing, I've read up a fair amount on Azrael. With Titans, I, I got to read some early issues, but really the stuff that I was buying off the newsstand was more in the post-Judas contract period, a little bit before, a little bit after. Because Tales of the New Teen Titans was on the stands, and I had an interest in that book, and I could find it, not regularly, but on occasion, you know, I'd buy it when I could. So it was in a weird place where, obviously, Perez was leaving, and Marv Wolfman was kind of coasting on some of the ideas that he had put together with Perez. It, it killed me because I think Perez, offered a lot in terms of plotting and he could draw some interesting character designs but when he went off and did Wonder Woman especially once he stopped drawing it it didn't seem like he was a strong enough writer to be on his own and then obviously Marv Wolfman he was getting fairly far on into his career by that point I mean as I recall he started in the late 60s heyday was in the 70s and early 80s by the mid 80s his uh, appeal was definitely waning and really not a dissimilar position from where Chris Claremont would be a few years later I don't know if you can write that many years of comic books before it starts to weigh on you clear Clearly, Marvel has been needed Perez around to help him co-plot because when he lost that co-plotter, he really lost the threat on Titans. And it shows up again during the Titans hunt is he had a new editor, Jonathan Peterson, who came in, who, who really helped fill him up with ideas, was becoming a franchise again. Uh, yeah, I know that there are people who hate Titans hunt, but uh, people like me and Shag really loved it and it really invigorated our interest in that property. And then unfortunately, Jonathan Peterson went off and he did a mini series with Kevin McGuire, Strike Back, which wasn't great. I mean, it's a good looking book, but it read okay and it came it took forever to come out and I don't know that he ever did anything else I, he just it's funny it's like he, I guess he burned his bridges because he quit DC he went freelance he put out like that one project and then he completely evaporated I have no idea what became of Jonathan Peterson and it's a shame because Titans just completely nosedived after he left because Marvel was so reliant on those ideas obviously he still had the handle on the characters he could still do the dialogue but without those people to help fuel the stories he was just lost and so you had that period after Perez left where they were introducing Azrael and per Marvel Wolfman, he had a really cool idea for what he wanted to do with this character, but he was having writer's block, and most of his attention was going to Christ on Infinite Earths, and after that, he was just completely burnt out and blocked up, and whatever was going to happen with Azrael never saw fruition, and in the years since, he's forgotten. He held it so close to his breast what he wanted to do that he didn't confide that in anybody, he apparently didn't write it down, and it never made it onto the page, and now this is this weird vestigial character, because obviously they, the Azrael was introduced with a fair amount of hubbub, I mean, they even did a house ad with him, and then it never became anything in the actual comic books. Now, reading from online fandom, there was a lot of supposition that there might have been ties to the Legion of Superheroes, and in particular Dawnstar, since you have two wicked characters. Azrael looks Caucasoid, where Dawnstar is supposed to be descended from Native Americans, so that's a bit of a tough sell, but I do really like the idea of connecting the Titans to the Legion. There's been a lot of attempts to reconnect Superman to the Legion, which, because of their somewhat messy divorce, never has really worked for me. I mean, in part because my introduction to the Legion was in the 
post-crisis period. And so I tend to think of Legion more as a distinct entity divorced from the Superman mythos because that was the will of the Superman editors and creators of the time. Going back and I've read some of the classic stories and I've definitely resolved some of my misgivings about Superboy and Supergirl being tied into the Legion. But I do like them as their own distinct property, even though I really do think that commercially it's been hurtful to them. I think it really helped to have that connection to the 20th century. And once you divorce them from the Superman mythos, they're somewhat on their own. And a lot of what was really appealing about the Legion was co-opted by the all-new, all-different X-Men. And it's just way easier to follow the X-Men. I'll be honest with you. They're cooler characters. They're more racially diverse characters. They better represent what Legion fandom was looking for in the Legion than the Legion itself was able to do as they became very squeaky clean and, and white bread. Let's be honest. They started out that way. and They just sort of continued with slight variations. And by then, the X-Men were really jumping on to what the Legion fandom had liked, probably because Dave Cockrum was the co-creator of the all-new, all-different X-Men, recognized that Legion fandom liked the diversity that was hinted at in the Legion and were able to really capitalize that with the X-Men. Setting that aside, though, in the years since, there has been attempts to bring them back into Superman fold and also some attempts to get them connected to the Legion and, I guess, to the greater DC universe. But one of the things that's nice about Legion is that it's somewhat of an island. There's so many characters in Legion. There's so much lore to learn that it's actually helpful for them to be isolated in their own century, a millennia from today. Once you start commingling them with the modern era, things just get extra, extra complicated. But also, without some sort of tether to the modern times, Legion's really on its own, and unless you get some really top-flight creators, I'm not sure how viable they are today. And, and right now that it has top-flight creators, it doesn't seem like Legion fandom is really embracing Brian Michael Bendis and Randy, uh, Ryan Sook. And, you know, I, I think they've had enough change for change's sake, and there has been some radical new takes on characters. Once again, they're doing a lot of race swapping. I think they're a little gender swapping, but mostly it's just about more radical redesigns. They don't look like the familiar characters. And given that Legion fans have waited so many years to have the Legion be returned to them, I think it's very difficult for them to face yet another reboot, and especially one that seems to want to divorce itself from prior continuity and just be a, like a ground zero reboot. All that's extraneous probably would work better for a Legion section. What we should focus on is that the Legion is sometimes tied into Justice League. I think that's a really poor fit. Those properties don't work that well together. I really like the idea of mixing Legion and the New Teen Titans because they're more age appropriate and just in terms of vibes. Of course, those were the two big selling books for DC in the early part of the 80s. It would have been so great to have seen Paul Levitz and Marv Wolfman work together to do a crossover of some type. And I feel like maybe that's what Azrael's point was. Maybe they were always going to tie it into Dawnstar in some fashion and that was going to mingle them. Paul Levitz was the guy who helped Marv Wolfman write New Teen Titans once he was blocked up. But unfortunately, Levitz was becoming more and more taken away by his editorial duties. He eventually left Legion entirely. Would have been a cool idea. I would have loved to have seen that happen, but it needed to happen a few years earlier, and it was just too late by the time Azrael was coming about. I do think that making the connection between Azrael and the Legion is the most interesting thing to do with a character like that, especially since the name Azrael has already been co-opted by a whole other character, a whole other mythology that's been built around Batman. But uh, because of Cisco's project, I've definitely played around with the idea of Azrael being tied to the Legion. Azrael is going to be kind of important to the stuff that I'm doing in the little comments there. I'm hoping to some degree to make up for what Marvel Woman never got to do as much as you can make up for being some idiot asshole nobody on a comment board. But at least it's not fanfic, right? It's not like really fanfic. It's fanfic even. Not really fanfic.
the fact is, is so much of my time and effort goes into the research and the reading and stuff inspired by working on, again, comments to somebody else's podcast that I'll be honest with you, it does impact on the podcasting because when I wake up on a Sunday morning with my brain on fire thinking about who would be the members of a DC inclusive Wildcats team and I'm unable to do anything besides addressing that and, you know, or doing research related to that, it's going to eat up time that I would spend editing audio clips from, again, somebody else's podcast that I'm inserting into an episode of Spawnometer. It's just going to happen that way. It's a hobby. This is a thing that I do to relax and to find fulfillment outside of my profession. If I've got something that has a grip on my attention and my imagination more than a podcast, it's going to affect my podcasting. I can't help that. I'm sorry. And so knowing that I didn't want to put the work in to do another type of podcast, whether it was listening through hours of audio that I recorded with my friends that needs to have stuff trimmed out of it. Just take, for instance, if I try to do a DC Bloodlines, well, I don't curse on DC Bloodlines. And I, you may have noticed, I, I really like to curse. Um, it's an effort for me to not curse. I enjoy it. If you have a problem with it, then you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. Listen to the ones where I don't curse. There's there's a lack of an explicit tag. You can listen to those if you want to hear me talk about Martian Manhunter or Wonder Woman when I actually can get it up to talk about those characters anymore. And it's not that I don't love them, but it's just, you know, years of blogging and some of the Wonder Woman has a huge fandom now that doesn't necessarily align with myself. So it's like, let them have their fun. That's their gal. I don't want to claim ownership over her and I don't want to enforce my opinions on somebody who's very successful and beloved outside of my interests. Or with Martian Manhunter, somebody who I championed for years and years and they just can't seem to fucking get him right and just the frustration of that but also the fact that i, I it's just after spending years and years doing daily blogging it's really hard to get excited about doing a podcast you know about that same type of material if i were smart the original idea was to maybe regurgitate posts just basically do an audiobook version of old posts and i should have done that it might have been the smart play but this is all tangent the point is i really love doing the who's editing and i'm putting a bunch of work and taking up a lot of mind space with working on that and uh, I, I want something back if that time is going to eat it into my podcasting then I, I would like to have some of that material inform my podcasting. Also, the, the simple fact is a lot of the research that I do into the DC universe because of that podcast, it's just not going to go anywhere else. I would have these fanciful notions of one day doing an episode of DC Bloodlines of the Omega Men. And uh, number one, that book ran for three years. I don't want to read 38, 39 with the annual issues of Omega Men to get like a 30 minute podcast. That sucks. That's, that's a really, lousy uh, return on investment but because of who's editing I'm, I'm reading Omega Men I'm reading Atari Force I'm reading all these books that I'm never going to do anything with that besides do a comment that I honestly don't expect anybody to read I, I, people have commented on those comments but the, the truth is I put that out there because it's the culmination of the work I've done but I don't expect anybody to read that I mean I personally hate fan fiction and I, I don't want to subject that to anybody to that you know that's part of why I do my quasi fan fictions with fake blurbs from a solicitation because I, I frankly I, I would probably find myself hanging in the attic if I thought of myself of actually doing fanfic but that's really what it is so I don't expect anybody to actually read those comments and I put a bunch of time into putting that together entirely for my own gratification with no concern for anybody else caring about it
Talking of Azrael, I don't know what to make of Jean Paul Valley. I read an issue of the Sword of Azrael miniseries, <sighs> Contemporaneous 2 or After Nightfall. I don't think I ever read the whole thing. I gave up on the Batman books around issue 500 when Azrael was fully confirmed as being the guy who's going to be Batman for a little while. He had John Lennon glasses. Joe Quesada and Kevin Nolan's artwork on the miniseries is really nice. Character is still to me a blank i i can't tell you what his personality is he's the manchurian batman i don't know what to do with that years later dc had a huge amount of success with reign of the superman and nightfall and they were able to parlay that into a bunch of long-running series that i did not give a shit about and in the case of azrael i don't really know anybody who gives a shit about i don't know anybody who really like is a hardcore azrael fan and that good book got to what like 50 to 100 issues his costume got progressively worse the story Story was just Denny O'Neill doing a watered-down version of his greatest hits. It was like middle-aged guys going on tours, singing the same songs they did in their youth without any vigor. A little bit of question, a little bit of the Ra's al Ghul Batman stuff. If you ask me to describe who John Paul Valley is, I can't tell you. He's a guy who was in an extreme Batman costume and killed people. That's not a personality. That's just what he did. I thought the look of the first suit was pretty interesting, mostly because Joe Quesada was drawing it. People, who, Other people who drew it, not so much much they got barry kitson to draw that for a while that was okay but it wasn't joe quesada the second suit they came up with when he became an agent of the bat and i still don't know what all that was about i guess batman was exploiting him for a period of time even though he is a looney tune and a killer that was a nice enough suit i guess but nowhere near as provocative as the original Azrael suit and they came up with that red thing at the end that turns up in the dc encyclopedia i don't know what the hell they were thinking with that because i guess they figured that showing his face would make him more expressive i'm not sure if roger robinson was still drawing the book i, I liked roger robinson's run i thought is more interesting to look at visually than uh, Barry Kitson's had been. He did he did that thing where he liked to draw the trez like Jim Lee did after Frank Miller. <sighs> so much real estate in published comics has been devoted to a character that's just such a nothing. I'm not mad at him. I don't hate him. I don't resent him showing up, but I'm not pro. I've got nothing there to grab onto. There's no meat there. He was created for a specific story. That story was told and he just fucking malingered. And that's what happens with a lot of comic book characters. Fans support malingering. This thing's got a bat symbol on the corner of the book cover or whatever the fuck. And they just keep fucking buying it. And there's so much better stuff out there, but they'd rather support the line of Batman books. And so Azrael manages to get, I don't know. That's, he's so insignificant in the grand scheme of things. He might have gotten 50 issues. He might have gotten 100 issues. I know he got at least 50 because I, I know that they turned the book into Agent of the Bat. And that's when they did the weird costume, the more cosmic-y looking thing uh, with all the white. I don't know if he made it to 75. It doesn't matter. Nobody fucking cares. Nobody ever bought this book because there were huge fucking Azrael fans. Raise your hands if you're a huge Azrael fan, but I don't fucking know you. All my years of, as a retailer, I sold a bunch of Azrael comics to people. Nobody ever was like, yeah, Azrael, man. I will say that I think he got an eight in fighting on the uh, overpowered card game, so I probably used him a little bit because of that. So that's the most use I've had for Azrael is that I could throw a level seven or level eight fighting power card at people while playing overpower which was magic for the stupids look 
look, what I'm going to do is on these weeks where I didn't take the time to do a Buck fucking Rogers or call up Mac and do a coming thing or eke out the latest edition of a Wonder Woman podcast talking about cheetah stories that aren't going to be relevant because all anybody's going to be talking about after the movie is going to be Barbara Nerva. My usual bull is what I'm saying. I want to do something that A, I'm not going to edit. B, that I could drink a bunch of Moscato or Merlot and just bullshit. I do get people that comment saying that they would like it if as a group, as Rolled Spine, they like the shows where we're just getting together as guys and just bullshitting. And that's great. But again, some of that bullshitting, I have to take out, oh, this person talked about their job or, or this person talked about what specific daycare they use. And I got to make sure that shit doesn't get out because I'm a paranoid and I'm also trying to be considerate of my friends and making sure that I don't put information out there in public that could be harmful to them. But if I'm sitting here with my pomegranate wine talking a bunch of bullshit, nobody has to fucking listen to this. Nobody's putting a gun to your head. Fucking delete the episode when it comes on or don't ever download it. Move on. But the idea with this show is that I'm basically going to take the research that I've done for who's editing and uh, just talk about it. You know, just bullshit about it. That's the goal of the show is me looking at old issues of who's who and the DC Encyclopedia riffing on that. So if that doesn't sound interesting to you. I'm sorry I've wasted like an hour of your time already. You should have probably turned me off earlier. But this is going to be kind of a rambly, probably a little bit at least tipsy podcast that I'm not going to edit because I'm putting these out as DC specials. I can fucking curse. I love cursing. Sorry. It's so hard for me to not curse. I have to go through my professional day not cursing, which means I just don't talk a lot. It's funny. People actually think I'm quiet and or don't have things to say or I'm very reserved. And obviously, if it's my podcast, we'll sometimes watch YouTube channels when we're eating. Uh, Paquita and I, there was a little clip from the Joe Rogan show, which I don't recommend. I'm sorry about that. I apologize for getting Joe Rogan any of my attention outside of news radio. There was a clip of him and Rob Lowe talking about Patrick Swayze. Lowe was joking about how there's a stock image of the outsiders from the production of that movie. And if you look carefully, if you look at the feet, you'll see that Patrick Swayze is standing on bricks because he wanted to be taller than everybody else. A funny bit of hubris, but also you kind of figure the character is supposed to be older than the other kids. There's an opportunity for him to seem taller and older, but it might have just been that you know he wasn't such a tall guy and he wanted to look taller in the picture. You know, it could be as simple as that. But Lowe was talking about how Patrick Swayze had this great intensity that he brought to the role and that even off screen, he was always like he apparently Rob Lowe was doing the movie Youngblood. Patrick Swayze tried to get him to use his song. She's like the wind in Youngblood. And Lowe was like, this doesn't really fit. It ultimately ends up in the dirty dancing soundtrack. And actually, I think it may have even gone to number one <laughs> because of the momentum of dirty dancing. Swayze was always wanting to like share poetry or sort of shit. He was like super into it. And I have to imagine that Swayze must have been a lot like Bodhi from Point Break, where he was just like so into his stuff. He had difficulty recognizing other people's lack of interest in how deep he was into his bullshit. But this is me being deep into my bullshit. It's me not editing, very unfiltered, talking about the DC universe, definitely drinking because I need a drink to even think about indulging myself so pathetically. You know, I'm sorry. This is a sad spectacle of a podcast. Babe. So in the early parts of the Who's editing, I was definitely just throwing stuff out there and not really thinking about the consequences of throwing stuff out there if I was going to go around later on and try to build a continuity out of it. But, you know, Babe had a lot of fan artwork out there. Apparently there is a fan base for Babe. And since there was a lot of artwork to exploit, I figured, well, let's go ahead and give Babe his own series. And we, I don't know his, is his right, even the right pronoun? Because uh, I'm not sure how, if they, if, if Babe was ever divined sexually. 
kind of an asexual character, really. It's an infant in the size of a gigantic blue body. It's a being that's going to eventually evolve into a mountain. So I'm not really sure how much gender roles really apply to, to Babe. But anyway, Babe has a lot of fan art out there. And so I figured let's go ahead and do a series with Babe since I would have a lot of art to go with my little entries. Uh, unfortunately, that's been somewhat suppressed by the fact that I keep bringing in other characters into the Babe series because I'm not that interested in Babe in and of himself. Babe is essentially the whole, it's a big blue infantile being who's superhumanly strong and a nine vulnerable who is the physical powerhouse of the Atari Force team but he's even more infantile than the Hulk with a toddler's mentality so he, relatively easily manipulated by the members of Atari Force to their ends so long as they give him affection and feed him he'll do pretty much whatever they want to it's kind of a messed up employment of a character actually when you think about it too deeply but we, we'll try not to do that but Babe has had a lot of traction for me because it was just easy to okay well he's an infant what do we do with infants from other planets on planet Earth well we put them in cages apparently at least here in the United States and so I've been able to play out a whole anti-ice deal with Babe, bringing in a bunch of other aliens. I don't want to deal with the 30th century while dealing with all the other stuff continuity-wise that's going on with the Who's Editing. It's easy to just put everybody into the 20th century, and since there are a whole bunch of aliens tied into projects like the Legion and Omega Men and Atari Force itself, it's just easy to throw those characters at the Babe series and give them a spot to do something that's also relevant to our current times. On its own, who's editing is an involved thing to take in all of those concepts and continuity just in any given issue of who's who. And then my thing with it is trying to make a, a little mini universe. So far, I think I've got like 50 some odd different titles that I'm juggling as far as my little commentary side project. And so at some point, you have to create boundaries for yourself because you'll drive yourself insane trying to figure out what to do with, with literally thousands upon thousands of characters that you let yourself. So one of the boundaries I found is the hope that since See, people seem to like who's editing the hope that it'll continue to come out one good thing about who's editing is that despite my assumptions I, I kept thinking that i was going to have to wait for like say a zero hour to come out before Discord would do another who's editing but it seems like maybe it's a little bit easier to do a who's editing than say a zero hour since there's not maybe as much research involved with it you just pick up a who's who and start spitballing ideas so he's been really good about getting these things out on a monthly basis and it seems to be well received it gets a lot of comments on it just like who's who did but because he can get it out on a much faster clip than robin shag could when they were doing the Who's Who podcast, there's a very good chance that he'll be able to wrap up at least the Who's Who portion of this within a two-year time frame since he's getting them out in such a good clip. And so the hope is that my understanding is that he had wanted to go back and forth from Who's Who and Official Handbook of the Marvel Universe. Apparently, people like me who really embrace the DC side of it and the Who's Who side of it and going from issue to issue with it have sort of messed with his plans. But there is some hope on my part, at least, that if he's continuing to have an interest in this after Who's Editing Volume 1 wraps up, with the first edition of Who's Who, that he might someday go on to the updates, the loose leaf, just like they did with the Who's uh, Who podcast. But also, I'd love it. Nobody ever wants to seem to do want to do Secret Files and Origins. And as a guy who loves reference material, I keep waiting for somebody to do something with Secret Files and Origins. I personally don't want to have to deal with that because I don't need another show on my plate for starters. And because they do have a very limited scope, you know, each edition tends to focus on like either a family of titles or sometimes just a single title. But my hope is at some point 
point that he might go on to the secret files or at least that's a handicap that I'm allowing myself so when I see characters like Arakat and Arouette that I don't know terribly well didn't have a lot of interest in when they were ongoing characters but am aware that they have entries in things like secret files and origins I just immediately set them aside as things I don't need to worry about things I don't need to incorporate in my little side project because the hope is someday Ziscoid will get to them and I'm going to have to save all my Arakat juice for when he actually covers those editions and if he never covers them golly how am I going to live with myself never having done anything with Arakat I don't care about the existence of Batlash. I just don't. The only thing I wanted to mention is that he's featured in, in the 2004 DC Comics Encyclopedia. They decided for him to take up the entire fucking page. I mean, there's a column with two other characters, Jason Bard and Baron Blitzkrieg, but he takes up three quarters of the page and they decided to use his who's who entry and they isolated the figure. And so they managed to make the figure run the entire page and it just looks really fucking weird. It reminds me a little bit of the opening to the TV show Wild Wild West where they had this really elongated version of the protagonist very stylized I'm not entirely sure they didn't warp the original Dave Gibbons image he just looks really really tall and takes up way more space than Batlash should take up in a DC Comics encyclopedia so that's all I have to say about that I don't give a shit about the actual comic books uh, Sergio Aragorn is uh, apparently wrote them I think Nick Carty drew it it's a western character it's a ripoff of Maverick I'm not from that generation it doesn't matter to me I don't have any desire to see this continue to exist in DC Comics. So the idea with the DC Encyclopedia podcast was for them to serve as a stopgap when I got tied up with getting distracted by my enjoyment of working on comments for the Who's Editing podcast and also to take advantage of a lot of the research I'm doing there by also discussing concepts that come up over the course of that research. The first episode that I recorded was about an hour long and I recognized that that was way too long to explain the premise of this series of podcasts on its own. It would just be way too boring and way too many reads because obviously a key component of this podcast is it being a production diary for essentially comments on somebody else's podcast plus some of my other podcast efforts. And so then I did a second recording that ran about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. There was actually talking about the entries from the encyclopedia and the who's who and getting more into the details. And so once I decided that the show only rated about a half hour and also I didn't want to have to do any more editing than would be required for a half hour of very loose rough material it turned out to be about a quartet because you've got an hour for one recording an hour for another recording to some degree this closes out this element of the podcast not because we won't be coming back to the dc encyclopedia but because i don't want dc special being defined solely by being assimilated by my little rantings on this little side project hopefully the next dc encyclopedia will actually involve other people in talking about stuff besides who's who and dc encyclopedia so that's one of the reasons why if you'll look at the album art it's actually the credits from the back of the first encyclopedia i hopefully will give you a little bit of a break from this i know a lot of our output at rolled spine has been this for the last few month or so and i'm going to try to curtail that in part because i hopefully will have some time and we'll have the opportunity to make some recordings to give us more spawnometers and some more material for some of the other podcasts as well aside from the need to do a wonder woman and a desire to do more zombie casts hopefully a little bit less solo material because i never wanted rolled spine to be dominated by just me i'm the least interested 
interesting person that I edit. Let's go ahead and do the social media aspects. People who have not completely driven away by this indulgent project include 108 Sage, Alan Middleton, Biko Django, Dr. Ange, Baby Skeletor, Chris Dunford, Chris Lydon, Chris Thompson, Doc Strange, Dirk Ashton, who added Thank You RSP, Ed Moore, El Romero Romero, Fanos Podcast, Green Lantern, HG, Hashtag More Trekker More Often, The Hammer Strikes, Random Geeky Stuff, History of Comics on Film, Iowa's Joe Crawford, Jeffrey Brown, John from Married with Comics Podcast, Just in Time with J&T Baggers, Keith G. Baker, Kenny Crayley Jr., Longbox Crusade, Mike at Send Aliens to Me, Mila Dream, Min, Odell Abner Dracula, Philip McCauley, Randy Caldwell, Randy the Comic Nerd, Ranger Gord, Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast, Richard G, Rob at Speculum Fight, Ryan Daly, Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Sean Phillips, Siskoid, Son of Cthulhu, Tomb Priest, The Pod Crashing, and Xenozoic Xenophiles. We only received one miss of this month. It was a direct message from Mike at St. to me. Just wanted to let us know, so I am catching up on your DC Encyclopedia podcast, and I'm enjoying it very much, which is surprising to me. I really wasn't sure that anybody gave a shit about this podcast, and I was hoping it wasn't driving people away. I also came to say I am a big fan of Red Hood. So I guess when you are looking for answers as to how that character keeps showing up, I am partly to blame. And all I have to say about the Red Hood at this point is that he is almost certainly the greatest clitoris referencing superhero of all time. The preceding program is a non-profit fan production. Any copyrighted materials contained therein are believed borrowed under fair use with no copyright infringement intended. Please feel free to leave comments at Rolled Spines Productions WordPress blog. You can also send us Twitter comments through the Rolled Spine Podcast Twitter. Thank you for listening. Hello, hello, turn your radio on. Is there anybody out there? Help me sing my song. La la la, life is a strange thing. Just when you think you know how to use it, it's gone.